Tony Turner was a beautiful soul who suddenly vanished in Pittsburgh at the end of 2019. Tracy Kegley was a loving mother who disappeared under strange circumstances in 1998. To this day, no one knows what happened to either woman, despite massive manhunts being conducted in each case. Each story gives us strange clues that can't easily be pieced together. Listen now to learn about these two missing women and see if maybe, just maybe, you've got some information you can shed on these terrible disappearances. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Killing Missing Hidden. It's it feels like it's been so long and it's only been a week that we missed. It's I haven't really know how to live my life during this time. It it feels good to be back in the recording chair. Um for those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Brad, the former criminal defense trial attorney. If this is your first visit, welcome. You won't understand the emotions we just all went through. We've got cookies on the back table. If you're a returning listener, yeah, let's bring it in for a group hug. I missed y'all. Y'all missed me. We're a big old happy family. We've got a bit of a unique episode this week. We've kind of dropped the ball a bit in covering missing persons cases, and it's not from oversight. It's These cases are hard to research because the typical missing person case goes such and such was here, such and such was there, then they disappeared. And the rest of the articles you can find on it are police and family members begging for information about where they are, which isn't very compelling podcasting, in my opinion, at least. And as much as I want to cover these cases, I don't think it's fair to y'all to get an episode a week that's 15 minutes just reciting kind of what happened with no idea on where we can go or, you know, what the story is. So in an effort to kind of offset this problem, I've taken two of our missing persons cases that I've had on our list for a while. They're both listener suggestions. And I've combined them together into this one episode to justify your time in listening and in the hopes that if you're willing to listen to one, maybe you'll listen to both and maybe we can shed some light on these these cases. I mean, one is from the 90s, so it's definitely old. Uh, and police are certainly in a cold case position on that one. But the more recent one... Police are still actively investigating, and and any tips would be helpful. But here I go rambling again. Uh, like I said, these were recommended, so thank you to listener Angie for the Tony Turner case, and thank you to listener Morgan for suggesting the Tracy Kelly investigation. It's because of you two lovely ladies that we have today's episode If you have a case you want us to look into, don't be bashful. Send us a message via Instagram or Twitter or best idea, send it via email or info at kmhpodcast.com. All right? All right. Well, 
you know how much I love banter and I would love for this opening to go on for another 20 minutes, but we got work to do. So let's get to it. Tony Turner was a 22 year old young woman living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And she seemed like the sort that's really difficult to pigeonhole. I, I think I can best describe her maybe as an artist, but she was so much more. She loved teaching. She loved working with kids. She made her living as a full-time metal fabricator and then worked part-time as a ceramics teacher. She was an AmeriCorps team leader in the Braddock Youth Project. She volunteered to teach at a Spanish-language summer camp. She would volunteer her time, too, to help school programs that were focusing on African history. I mean, this was one dynamic girl who did everything she could to make the world a better place. And she was 20 freaking two. It kind of makes me hate my life. Uh, as you can probably guess, Tony was also a very popular person within her neighborhood. She supported all the local artists she could and in any way she could. Of course, that gave her lots of goodwill and they in, ten, in turn supported her. She was a fixture at basically every music festival that ever passed through the area. And, you know, she wasn't just somebody you would bump into. She would kind of become like a sideshow. She would be dancing and full of energy near the front by the stage. And she would just grab random people to dance with them. She And, you know, people loved her because of that. Um and, and she wasn't just there for the good times either. You know, at least one of her neighbors talked about how when she was going through a really tough domestic situation, Tony insisted on taking her in, caring for her, providing for her needs until she could kind of get on her own and restart her life anew. So I think it's very fair to say that Tony was a beautiful person, you know, like way more beautiful than like 90% of what we see in the world today. Just all around, you know, she kicked butt. So, you know, it, it has to be kind of terrible that I'm talking about her, right? Tony went missing on December 30th, 2019. What we know about that day is she left a local tea room uh, that afternoon that she visited frequently. She got on the bus. She got off the bus. The bus driver remembered her because everybody knew Tony. He specifically said, yes, she got off at her regular stop right by her apartment or by, right by her house. And she made it. She apparently made it to her house. She called her parents around 6 p.m. just to chit-chat. And after this, she's just gone. There's, I mean, it's poof. There's nothing. There's no clues. So this timeline, as I presented, is actually a little bit more muddied from the various sources I looked at. So, you know, you may find something that, that changes this a little bit and I can't quarrel with you because I, I don't know who's right, who's wrong. I'm just going off of what we can find in the public domain here. Okay. So, um, you know, Tony's family learns pretty quickly 
that she's missing. Now, be it from she's not returning her calls or neighbors haven't seen her, that I don't know. But they contact authorities pretty quickly. I mean, less than 24 hours. They're saying, our daughter's missing. Please, you got to help look for Police go to her house, and they didn't notice anything unusual. But a neighbor that was kind of, you know, sitting there watching all the stuff that was going on, noted that the coat that was laying in the chair was the same coat she had been wearing when she came home from work that day. Obviously, somebody can change coats and all that, but the neighbor thought it was unusual. And we are talking winter. I mean, this winter in Pittsburgh, so you would need a coat. It's not brutal Arctic conditions, but... um, it wasn't a time that you'd be walking around without a coat. Uh, from when, when I looked it up on some of the weather archive sites, it didn't go below freezing this week that Tony went missing. So, yeah, uncomfortable, probably not deadly, but, you know, comfort-wise, you, you definitely want a coat. Okay, so shortly after Tony's reported missing, a man, and I've seen conflicting reports on this, but it's been cited at least twice that the man was a firefighter. He's biking to work one day across this bridge. It's the Homestead Grays Bridge, which is this huge bridge there in Pittsburgh. And he's biking across it. And this this, this bridge is a major kind of thoroughfare in Pittsburgh. And as he's crossing it, he discovers Tony's bag. Now, some sites say purse, most say book bag. Uh, Regardless, he found it, and inside was her wallet with her identification intact, her cell phone, a small piece of ceramic art that she had finished working on recently, uh, all of her house keys, and her shoes. Her shoes that she had worn out were in her bag. Now, all of this was turned over to the police and they went through it. But as far as we know publicly, there was no clues that were lifted from any of this stuff. And that's really about as far as the investigation ever got. No no other evidence is ever known to have been found. Now, in fairness, there was a tip and it caused the police to search a nearby neighborhood in mass. So they really believed this was a good lead, and they swarmed the site. But we don't know what happened. The police never talked about it. It could have been a wild goose chase. They could have found just a treasure trove of evidence. We don't know. We're in the dark on this. Many of the locals have been quite critical in how the Pittsburgh Police Department has handled this case because they say that the department has a reputation for only chasing those cases that will get them in the papers, only the ones that will bring good PR to the department. And so many cases just kind of fall through the cracks because nobody wants to work on them because it won't help them get a promotion. This is just the reputation, rightly or wrongly. Um, If this is true, I don't really understand why Tony's case wouldn't fit that mold because it did receive a fair amount of media attention. 
And so I do think if somebody solved it, it would be a gold star in their in their case file. But I've never been a police officer in Pittsburgh, so I don't really know the internal politics there. I, I think I've sold you effectively on how well-loved this woman was, but let me just throw more onto that pile, okay? When she was first reported missing, the studio where she conducted her ceramics classes kind of held like a makeshift vigil for her. Um, I mean, it was more about getting the word out. Let's try to find her, things like that. But, you know, this was an impromptu thing thrown together hastily and still over 100 people showed up. They ran out of seats. People were having to stand. Some folks had to wait in the hallway and try to listen in. Um, and it just really hammered home how beloved this woman was. The studio for weeks, months, refused to let anyone else use that classroom. That was Tony's classroom, and it was going to be her classroom when she came back. You know, it was kind of a living memorial to her and a symbol of hope for everybody that, that came there and practiced some sort of artistic craft. Whatever criticisms people want to lay at the feet of the police, the same certainly cannot be said about Tony's family because, buddy, they got after it. <laughs> they, I mean, they, they, as far as I've seen, they have not been overly critical of the police, but they were doing their own thing. They, they had the Tony Police Department formed and ready to go uh, for a period of weeks. Friends, families, loved ones were out in force, and they were literally knocking on doors, handing out flyers, attending all the big music events, all the artistic events, any place that Tony may have friends. They were there, and if you were there, you were getting a flyer stuck in your hand. There was no way around it. Because of their efforts, people started making reports of having seen Tony throughout the Pittsburgh area. But every lead that was followed up on was either confirmed to be a misidentification or otherwise couldn't be verified. They were all kind of dead ends. Now, one thing that I find interesting in this case is Tony's family believes that she was kind of kidnapped. Not forcibly so. They think that her being her, she probably attracted the attention of a guy. The dude probably didn't have very good intentions. And he convinced her to get in the car and go, you know, off where the two could be alone. And then he just never stopped driving. And because of this, they are convinced, at least publicly, that she was taken to somewhere off of Interstate 80, which runs kind of on the north side of Pittsburgh and uh, runs east to west across the United States. So locations they, the family, have pointed out that need to be searched are Youngstown, Ohio, Salt Lake City, Utah, Reno, Nevada, or any other high traffic area. But one thing they've never done is explain why they think Tony would leave town and if she left town would go so far away 
without making any effort to contact anybody. There is one report, just one. So this was never confirmed, so take it with a grain of salt. But this report claimed that when Tony's family kind of went behind the police and did their own search of the house, they found her diary. I'm not saying police didn't find it, but Tony's family found it and read it. And they noticed kind of a disturbing trend that over the last few weeks, she was expressing in her diary more and more sadness and hopelessness, which obviously would make one think she was suffering from the onset of depression or a return of a depressive episode. We we don't know her mental health history. So this could be a new thing. It could be a regular thing. In the Pittsburgh area, there's apparently three very popular theories about what happened to Tony, and you kind of fall into one of the three camps. Either she ran away, she was kidnapped, or she committed suicide. And we'll address these in turn. The runaway theory just seems like the least plausible to me. You know, I, I've jokingly heard some podcasters say that if a woman's mascara is still at home, she did not run away. I don't, I don't know about Tony's makeup situation here, but there's no reports of any other personal belongings that have gone missing. You know, they were looking for her keys and her phone, and they found that in her bag a couple of days later. But as far as we know, all of her other, except what she was wearing, I guess, except whatever cash she had on her in her pockets, if she had any, all of her personal items have been accounted for. Distance is a bit of a problem, too, for a runaway theory. If she really did go to Interstate 80, as her family thinks, that's 55 miles or 89 kilometers from the bridge where her belongings were found. So that's not something she could have just, you know, done a brisk walk to and and hitched a ride. It does support the family's idea that she would have had to receive a ride to get there. But so far as we know, none of her friends are missing. She wasn't known to have a significant other at this time. And no one ever saw her get into a vehicle with someone. And then again, you know, Tony's never reached out to anyone. There's also, you know, that issue that Tony was just a part of this community and, and a real deep part of this community. So personally, I find it strange to think that she would just leave everything behind without saying a word to anyone. I mean, if I went missing, my coworkers, you know, would mourn a little bit, but there'd be a new butt in my chair within a matter of a week, right? <laughs> they, they would not leave my office vacant for months in hopes that I would return, you know, or to serve as a shrine that hope that Brad will be back. For Tony being described as such a loving, caring, thoughtful beautiful souled person why would she leave everybody in such pain it just doesn't add up 
you know, and I, I tend to think, and I mean no disrespect by this, of course, that this theory exists because Tony's family doesn't want to f- face the idea that their daughter is gone. And I get that. I totally get that. They should hold out hope until they've got nothing else to hold on to. You know, I mean, until they find a body, live that way. Hold out the hope. That's probably a very healthy way to go about doing this. So I'm not throwing any shade at them. I just think that's what's pushing this theory. So we've got the kidnapping theory, too, which is pretty similar to the runaway theory. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that this theory is built largely off of the fact that her belongings were found just kind of tossed aside at the bridge there. You know, so far as I'm aware, there's no other evidence suggesting foul play. To the extent we can entertain this theory, we would have to believe that took place sometime that evening while she was out of her apartment. And I say this because she was carrying her bag when she was grabbed. It had her keys in it. And, you know, I think it'd be unusual to break into her her house to kidnap her, but allow her to grab her bag and then dispose of it. Not, not too far away from where she lives. We also, you know, it's unusual to me that there's no signs of her ever being taken to a bank or an ATM. We, we don't have any surveillance video of her anywhere. If you're kidnapping her, you're not kidnapping her for money. And we, frankly, we don't know what kind of resources she had. She seemed to be living this bohemian lifestyle, which, you know, traditionally is not one of great wealth or means. So it, it really undercuts the idea that this was a financially motivated kidnapping, if it was a kidnapping. So that kind of suggests to me that, you know, somebody caught feelings for her and she didn't have the same feelings and this person didn't know how to deal with the situation. So that's why they moved on her and kidnapped her, you know, because that thing shows love like being locked into a car. That uh, Even with that, you know, it's very, it, it doesn't really fit that profile to then toss out all of her stuff. Maybe the cell phone, but I think you'd want to keep all that stuff around. It's very sloppy just to haphazardly toss it on the side of a very busy road, but There's a whole lot of stupid criminals in the world, and they make lots of stupid decisions. Uh, But I I, I would hope that if one were to do that, they would leave some forensic evidence at some level. And so far as we know, which, again, the police have been very quiet about this case, so we don't know a ton about it, there hasn't been any forensic, forensic evidence found on any of Tony's items. And I also kind of think, you know, the fact that a firefighter was the person who found it or was likely the person that found it, he's probably slightly better trained than the average person in knowing how to handle things appropriately. 
not contaminate evidence and things like that. So I would hope that once he saw it and looked into it and saw it was Tony, he would recognize that she was a missing person and he would immediately stop digging around and call 911 at that point. Without any additional supporting evidence, for me at least it's hard to lean in this direction. You know, I mean, random crimes are always a possibility. Yeah, any one of us can walk out to uh, a parking lot after work and get mugged and killed. Things like that happen. But again, I just don't see Tony as otherwise being someone that you would target unless you had an infatuation with her. And it's also kind of weird that she'd get snatched out of a community where she's so beloved. Yes, it could happen. Absolutely, it could happen. I'm just not feeling a whole lot of support for this theory from what little evidence we have. So that really only leaves us with the suicide theory, right? And the gist of this one is that Tony was more depressed than, it, than everyone knew as indicated by her uh, her diary. It's the holidays. We all know that people are more likely to commit suicide during the holidays than any other time of the year. Maybe for some reason the holidays were hitting her particularly hard. This bridge where her items were found are only was only three miles away from her house or less than five kilometers. It would have taken her about 30 minutes to hike down there. Not an easy casual stroll, but certainly doable, even in cold weather. Upon reaching the bridge, she could have easily made the jump if she was devoted to this course. You know, studying the bridge, there aren't any real fences or other fixtures that serve as deterrents to people climbing and jumping. I mean, really, the traffic would have been the biggest deterrent, that somebody sees her climbing over the rails and all that and tries to stop her. And, of course, this would depend on the time of day, too. If, if she did this at 3 in the morning, there's going to be significantly less traffic than if she's doing it at 7.30 I think it would be hard to make the jump unnoticed, but certainly not impossible. And from looking at the records, this isn't a common occurrence for this bridge. You know, it's nothing like the Golden Gate Bridge, which just seems to have people flying off of it every day. But it does seem like one to two people use this bridge as a method of ending their own life each year. So some of the evidence that I think supports this theory is the idea that Tony may not have had a coat. She left the coat she was wearing at home that day. She, again, she could have very easily picked up another coat. No coat was found at the scene. So I am speculating on that point. What we don't have to speculate on is she took her shoes off. And this apparently is a common indicator that somebody has jumped 
it's very, very common in Japan for some reason. Um, but even in the United States, while it doesn't happen as frequently, it does happen enough that it's kind of seen as an indication that we may be looking at a suicide. She, you know, also left all her stuff behind anything, you know, she wouldn't have any use for her cell phone or her ID or her wallet, you know, and the bag easily could have gotten tangled on something and messed up her plan. So I could see where you'd want to jump in there kind of as naked as possible, for lack of a better word. And one thing about this bridge or about this river that needs to be understood is it's huge. It's not like a little stream, okay? Uh, there's actually a story from the 1950s of a U.S. Uh, bomber plane crashing. It ran out of fuel on a trip, and it had to make an emergency landing, and so it crashed into this river, and the river swallowed the whole thing. And the Ritter River now, in particular... It's always had a reputation for being dark and difficult to see. And now it's so polluted, too, that searchers routinely cannot find bodies of people who jump in there. So given the fact that we've got this kind of black hole coupled with Tony talking about privately how depressed or how upset she was, how lonely she was, and we have a time of the year where suicides are more prevalent. And she's taken a couple actions that kind of suggest maybe that's what happened. I could see that being the case. I hope that's not what happened. Um, I mean, it's the theory I'm most comfortable with. But I say that sadly. You know, it, and it's frust depression is just such a frustrating disease because how often is it that the happiest person in the room is suffering from severe depression? And, you know, I just, I don't want to be right on this one. I'm just worried that it may be the most likely or even the happiest possible outcome amongst the three theories. Um, like I said at the top, to this day, the case still is open by the Pittsburgh Police Department. So if you happen to know anything about this case, they sure would love to talk to you. And I have no doubt they've got an anonymous tip line, so you can certainly share your information that way without getting involved in the case. So we're going to leave Pittsburgh where they've got this world-class research hospital and university. It's been a city that's had a great impact in American politics and American history. And we're now going to head down to Elmore County, Alabama. Good old Alabama, my home state. And again, we're going back to 1998. Tracy Kegley. She was a phlebotomist who happened to be making the transition from working at a local, I think it was kind of what I would call a, a dock in a box type place 
to working for a local dentist. On April 26 of 1998, she was out running errands with her two-year-old daughter, and this was the day before she was going to begin her new job, so she's doing what you do on your last day off, you know, getting groceries, filling the car up with gas, all that stuff. Nothing unusual. You know, cops were able to pin her last her last few moments um, or her last day together and make a bit of a timeline. And everything seems normal, except she never made it home. She just flat never made it home. And no one really knew that she was missing until the next morning when a man got up and was leaving early for work. And he kind of lived out in the, I mean, Elmore County's country. He lived in the country, country part of Elmore County. Um, he, you know, lived down this, this one lane road and it's bordered on one side by this really thick forest and he's driving, getting ready to work. And there's a car that's pulled off kind of on the side of the road on where the forest is, but because it's so thick, there's really no shoulder there. So it's more or less blocking the road. So he swings his truck around and looks in and doesn't see anybody. But as he passes, he thinks he sees some movement. So he, he stops in front of the vehicle and he gets out and he kind of goes and looks at it and Nothing was in there except a small child. Yeah, uh, Tracy disappeared. This was her car, and she disappeared without her child. Uh, her keys were there. Her wallet was there. Her ID was there. Everything you wouldn't leave behind, you know, in particular a two-year-old child. Good news, the girl was fine. She had no injuries. She didn't really know what had happened, which in a way for her is, is very good. For the case, it kind of stinks. And, and again, in case I didn't make this clear, like the location of her vehicle is in a really odd spot. It is well off the beaten path. And it's not, it's not on a road that leads to anything that you would... You know, there's no attractions. There's there's not six flags over Elmore County at the end of the road. It's just kind of a road that leads out to all these residences. Now, when the police got on scene, the first thing they decided to do was to check the woods. They want they had to see if Tracy was I'm sorry, if um yeah, if Tracy was nearby. So they go out there, and man, it is just a chore trying to search them woods. Officers are doing the best they can, but they're having to squeeze between tree trunks. They are stepping on rocks. They're stepping in holes. You know, Alabama has a pretty good snake population with several uh, poisonous ones. So it, it was a little... It, it was a little... There's a little trepidation, I guess you could say, in, in the officers that they're out there searching. Uh, when forensic investigators got on the scene, they were stumped. They found nothing. I mean, there's no evidence indicating that Tracy had been involved in some sort of struggle. 
There was no evidence she had been forcibly removed from her car. Um, you know, even searching the immediate area of her vehicle. There's just nothing to be found. I mean, because uh, particularly when you've got a wall made of trees on one side of the road. Now, within this labyrinth-like set of woods, there were several known abandoned rock quarries. And because they'd been abandoned, they'd become flooded over the years. Uh, police went and searched one of them, but for some reason they didn't search any of the others. Don't know why, uh, but that's what happened. Now, one fact that we haven't talked about here is Tracy was divorced. And she had been divorced for all of 16 days. So, red flags up immediately, right? You got to look at the ex-husband. You got to. So, of course, police do. They pull him in for questioning all that. He's got totally solid alibis. They can't find any motive, any reason why he'd want to kill Tracy. I actually pulled up their divorce file. It's public record. I didn't do anything illegal. <laughs> um, I went through their divorce file and looked at it, and it is the standard kind of no contest divorce you get in Alabama where both parties agree. They've, you know, they just want to separate. They've agreed on how they're going to divide everything up. And, you know, one of those that you file on, on Thursday and then the judge issues the order of divorce on Monday. So there was nothing interesting in the divorce file. I looked at their records. There's no history of domestic violence. There was no history of like protection from abuse orders. You know, if they had problems, they kept it between themselves. And actually, you know, I even asked around some folks who lived in that area and kind of knew a little bit about the story. And they all agreed that, you know, Tracy's ex is a pretty decent guy. And they didn't think for a second that he would do anything to hurt her. There was, they just didn't have a volatile relationship. It was just one that didn't work out. I mean, I say all this not knowing the man, but I'm going to give these folks the benefit of the doubt. So the husband's a dead end. And police decide, you know, we're going to recreate what Tracy did that last day there. So they go through and recreate her whole day, all the little chores she runs and all that. And everything's pretty cut and dry, pretty boring, except there was witnesses that were at the gas station when she was getting gas who told police that while she was fueling up, she got into it with another customer, not pushing and shoving or anything like that, but they were yelling at each other. Now, apparently this gas station is set up so you kind of have pumps on one side of the building and then pumps at, you know, a 90 degree angle. So it's kind of this V formation. And so the person, Tracy was at the end of one of these rows and was in the shouting match with somebody 
on the one of the other rows that was blocked by the gas station building so the witnesses couldn't see who she was hollering at. But, the, you know, they said, from what they could tell, yeah, they were shouting and all that, but ain't it, it wasn't nothing beyond just shouting. Now, no source specifically states this, but from kind of reading between the lines and kind of trusting my gut, so I may be way off base here, I think who she was arguing with was a man. Again, could be totally wrong about that, but you just get that feeling from the way the witnesses describe everything that there was some tension in the way they told the story, like if something went down, they were going to have to intervene, you know? Police, of course, looked for who this could have been back in 1998. You know, if they paid with cash, there's no record of them on there. There's no security cameras at this little gas station out in Elmore County. So they've got nothing to go off of. This is when police finally decide to explore the quarries. They send the divers into the first one. Found no evidence of Tracy. There's two more in the nearby area, but they decided not to search them. Even when asked by members of Tracy's family, they just refused. And we don't know why. It's never been explained. And, I mean, within days, Casey Tracy's case goes ice cold. Nobody knew nothing, and nobody could find nothing. For years, it's just a dead file. Until 2018, and all of a sudden, all heck breaks loose. Police apparently receive a tip that leads them through this maze. And we don't know what the tip is. We don't know what it involves. It's all been kept very confidential. But when they... It it almost sounds like this tip was one of those. If y'all play video games, you know what a fetch quest is, right? Okay. You're told by a character to go do this. And so you have to go to spot A to get whatever you need. But to get what you need from spot A, you have to go get something from spot B. But spot B won't give you what you need for spot A until you go get something from spot C. And it just turns into this whole annoying thing, right? Well, that really is kind of the feeling I got from reading what was going on here with this tip. Like police were having to search multiple places before they were able to put this puzzle together. And this puzzle, when it was put all together, it gave police this idea that they knew exactly where Tracy's body could be found. And, buddy, I'm telling you, they descend on this land in mass and with some emotions flowing, you know. Apparently, officers and representatives from 20 state agencies in Alabama responded. There were also officers responding from several state agencies in Georgia, I believe one in Mississippi. And so, and that's not counting civilians that joined in the hunt. So 
this was massive. We also had the private sector get involved in a really cool way. Um, you know, again, this wasn't that long ago, 2018. So you had uh, companies that were kind of pioneering commercial drone usage. They volunteered several of their drone craft to help with the search. You had uh, a company created this wild, like, NCIS-type headquarters for the Elmore County Sheriff's Department. They had this big old, you know, television screen or computer monitor, and every search and rescue team, every police search team that went out there was equipped with a... um a phone of some sort, a special type of phone. I think it functioned more as a walkie-talkie, but it also collected GPS data. And the the program that was behind the scenes of all this, wherever one of these GPS phones went, it kept track of. And the sheriff or eventually the Alabama Bureau of Investigation, now known as the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, took over the investigation uh, but whoever was in command, they could on this big old screen pull up and see where every team has searched and where each individual team has searched. And they were focused on a 300 acre plot of land that was about 20 miles away from where Tracy's car was found. Okay. And so they swarmed this area. I mean, this was probably the most high-tech search that's ever been conducted in Alabama. And the search lasted for a year. It lasted for a year. Literally, every square foot of this land was searched multiple times. And I mean, this isn't hyperbole. We've got, we've got this electronic map that shows... Multiple teams went over the same spot multiple times. Now, why would it take so long to search this land? I mean, it's a finite space. It's 300 acres. And you've got all these volunteers out there. You've got all this technology. You've even got drones flying overhead. Why would it take an entire calendar year? Well, it just so happens this land, this, this 300 acres was being used as a deer farm. And so whenever a deer would die from sickness or old age or what have you, the proprietors of the land had kind of created some mass graves. And so police, of course, found these graves. But it ain't really easy to tell the difference between, you know, a human rib bone and a deer's rib bone when you're digging through the dirt. So what they did is they had forensic investigators out there when they found these mass graves and they would help them kind of sort through it. And they kind of, they did two piles. One pile, clearly deer. Second pile was, we don't, we can't say it's clearly deer. That was kind of the approach they took. If they couldn't say in the bottom of their hearts that they knew that was a bone from a deer, it went in the second pile. And that second pile, 
from all these mass graves that were all dumped together and were driven down to the uh, Alabama Forensic uh, Investigation Unit. It has a better name than that, but it's escaping my mind right now. In addition, police found that not only were these mass graves used, but there was a pond on this land and a bunch of these deer carcasses were thrown in the pond. So divers had to be brought in. And they had to go through and they had to pull up every bone from the bottom of this pond, present it to the forensic experts, and let it be tossed into one of the two piles. So all of a sudden, Department of Forensic Sciences, I know I'd remember their name, they get this just, I'm exaggerating a little bit, dump truck full of bones delivered to their facility one day. And they, you know, are basically asked, hey, can y'all go through and figure out whether or not these are human? Now, lots of good people work for the Department of Forensic Sciences. I've met some of them. I like them. I trust them. Even though, you know, they put a lot of my clients away. But they are severely, severely understaffed. I mean, for whatever reason, they are just the whooping boy when it comes to budget cuts. Such that... I mean, when I was in practice, for them to confirm that a substance was cocaine would take six to nine months. And again, I don't know nothing about chemistry. I, I'm not a forensic investigator. But I think you can figure out whether something's cocaine or baby powder in less time than that. But that's how backed up they are. That's how few resources they have. So... Even though all these bones were dumped on this poor agency's doorstep back in 2019, because remember the search lasted a year that began in 2018, we still haven't received a report from them, or at least no report has been received from them that's been made public about what they found there, which makes me think either they're not done sh sifting through all the bones or there was no evidence of Tracy found despite all that work. And unfortunately, that's where story stands right now. We're really no closer to finding out what happened to Tracy. Certainly no closer to making an arrest. There is a tiny bit of good news, I guess. You know, in my opinion, law enforcement believes Tracy was murdered. Which seems like a fair guess at this point, right? The, and they are convinced they know who did it. If you go back and you read these newspaper articles, it's not, you know, one lone uh, corporal in the sheriff's department shooting his mouth off. You've literally got the sheriff of Elmore County. You've got the district attorney. You've got the ABI slash Aaliyah agent saying, not in so many words, but they're basically saying, oh, we, we, we're coming for you. Whoever did this, wink, wink, nod, nod, we're coming for you and hell's coming with us. So I think it's, they know who did it. They just don't have the evidence to prove it yet. And, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that if I'm correct in saying that, then maybe we're just 
a little bit of ways away from an arrest and Tracy won't be a missing person anymore and her family can have some closure. Um, again, this is a case where law enforcement has been incredibly tight-lipped, which, again, supports the idea, to me at least, that they've got a target in mind and they've got to do everything they can to make sure this dude doesn't know what their next move is going to be. Makes total sense. I don't know that we'll see any more public updates on this case until they're ready to arrest this dude. But that's kind of where we are. And as it stands, Tracy is still considered a missing person. Police still have her file open. And if it wasn't for that tip that led them on that goose chase that sent them to the to that deer farm... I mean, we'd probably have nothing to talk about when it came to Tracy. We've reached the end of this episode, and brother, all I can say is oof. I mean, these are two sad stories, I'm afraid, but they're important stories. I mean, for all we know, again, someone listening to this may have information about one of these cases. If you do, please, please, please contact law enforcement, let them know. Do it anonymously if you have to. Send it in a letter to them, if nothing else. Uh, if you know anything about Tony's situation, hit up the police, Pittsburgh Police Department. For Tracy, it's going to be the Elmore County Sheriff's Department. Do it just because these families deserve closure, okay? I mean, it's. It, I'm very you know, fortunate and blessed that I've never had a loved one be victim of a violent crime or go missing. But I can't imagine not knowing. That's what would kill me. I mean, I'd almost, you know, if one of my kids went missing, I'd want to just, you know, were they killed or are they missing? Just tell me that much at least so I don't have to worry. Because holding on to that hope's got to be exhausting. Plus, you know, Tracy's got that little girl. She's grow up now, yeah, but, you know, this is a girl that never really knew her mama, and she, more than anyone else, she deserves to have some sense of justice in this case, so just in case you happen to know anything, please share, please share. I don't, you know, have much else to offer on these cases. I kind of mixed in my legal analysis while we were talking about the facts, so we're just going to move straight on to our palate cleanser. And I got to warn you, this, this one's bad. I, I'm apologizing now. It's, it's that bad. But, but something about me still loves it. All right, here we go. I saw an advertisement offering an all-but-brand-new television for only $10. It had one problem, though, according to the ad. The volume controls didn't work, and it was stuck on max volume. When I saw this deal, I thought, well, there's no way I can turn that down. Do you get it? Please tell me you get it. No way I can turn down that deal. You know, the TV that can't be turned down. Anyway, I, I am sorry. I, I, You know, if you need to sue me for emotional damages because of that, I actually totally understand. Uh, that's going to wrap up this edition. We're glad to be back. We're sorry we missed y'all last week. We don't do that very often, and hopefully we won't have to do it again for a while. 
if you, you know, find, what is it? Absence make the heart grow fonder, something like that. You know how literary I am. If that's the case with you and you haven't done it, maybe this, you know, will kind of motivate you to leave us a nice five-star review with some good words following it. You know, talk about how awesome we are, what a kick-butt job we do. We need some more reviews is what I'm getting at. I can't be very subtle, but, you know, my ego depends on it. My pride depends on it. And I just need a couple of y'all to go out there and leave us a five-star review. If you could share us with your friends and family, particularly, you know, kind of the, the more unusual ones, because I think they'll enjoy our, they'll, they'll fit in best, right? Like you don't want the prim and proper soccer mom who's the president of the PTA. She's, I don't know that we're for her. I mean, I hope that we are. I hope we're for everybody. I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of think we're like, you know, that weird aunt that you have that always ha talks about how great Halloween is and, you know, is a little, has some interesting uh, spiritual beliefs. Yeah, that's that's more who we resonate with. Um, Let's see. I, I, I mean, this all, I, I will say this too. This whole production has been a bit of a crap show. I can't find anything. It's all missing. It's like, it's like Vikings raided my office. Even though the door to my office was locked, which I can't figure out why, because I didn't lock it. Everything. So I'm just really ablibbing a lot here. So if it sounds like I was lost during some of this episode, yeah, it, it was probably true twice more often than you noticed. Uh, okay. I'm just talking nonsense now. So I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening. We, of course, love you so much for it. Uh, want to give a special shout out to all of our South African listeners. You know, our last episode was based there. And boy, did we get a bunch new joining our fun little ship here. So hope you enjoyed it. Hope this episode didn't make you jump right back in the waters. But, uh, you know, that, that's it. I hope one day to visit your land if y'all have me. But anyway... Uh, rambling, stopping. Okay, everybody be good. Have a wonderful week. Uh, let's just go with Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.